0: Hello, thanks for joining us. Many of you may have been blown away by the Leroy Smith story. And if you remember, if you, if you did see that one, if you haven't seen it, link's in the description box. But if you did see it, so Leroy tells the story of how he ended up incarcerated for over 20 years and he had shot two cops. Now, James Seymour here is the cop. And he has actually written a chapter of this book. He's thinking about doing his own book as well. And we urge you to go down in the description box and support these guys' work because they're doing joint events together. It's like, you know, I was at a school talk um, a couple of years ago and that it was the Brighton Bombers. One of his victims' daughters was doing a talk with the Brighton Bomber. My head was like, whoa, this is, this is something else. But... To educate people about crime, the dangers of getting involved in the lifestyle, we've got to salute, you know, this this kind of um, positive public speaking Definitely. and events and news stories. And Leroy's book again is called "Out of the Box: The Full Story." So, my goodness, huge thanks for coming on, James. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. So we're very interested in your life story specifically, and we're going to go back then, perhaps, to the early years to figure out what it was like for you as a young person. and you know, Were you like, when I grew up, I'm going to be a cop? Was that in your head or did that come later? (laughs) No, it came much later on. Um, When I was younger, all I wanted
1: to do was, um, at 16, was leave school, have some money, have a girlfriend, learn to drive. (laughs) Um, So basically that's what I did. Um, I came from a very religious background and uh, I'll be honest, I'm quite ashamed to say I did rebel. um, And I just took the first job I could when I was 16, doing unskilled labour, and uh, got to 21 and thought, I've got to do something in my life. So it was either the army or the police. So um, I became a special constable in Kent for a few months um, and then uh, decided, yeah, that's where I wanted to go with
0: my career. What was the procedure to become a special constable?
1: Uh, I think you just applied, got an interview, and uh, obviously you were vetted and that was it. Um, but if I'm honest, I didn't really learn a lot or deal with a lot. So,
2: What was the vetting process? Um.
1: Just filling out loads of form about your, your family background. And I think um, same as when I joined the regular force in the Met, you have a lifestyle interview. Um, and obviously there's different levels of vetting for uh, whatever different rank or, or roles that you, you, you play, that you, you have in the police. Did you have to do like a physical test? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, it's certainly not as, uh, hard as it was now. Was it a really? big test? Uh, no, it wasn't. You had to do, um, when I joined them out, you had to do a mile and a half run in, I think it was 10 minutes, 10 or 12 minutes. Um, and then you had to do a minimum of 30 push-ups and a minimum of 38 sit-ups. And you had to do a standing long jump, which I never understood the (laughs) the meaning of it. But um, I failed it all on the first go. You failed it? Yeah, I failed it. Yeah. So um, they gave me um, four months to go and train. And um, so I went back and passed with flying colours. And so then I started at uh, Hendon on basic training in July 1984.
0: And what was your life like outside of work at that point of, you know, when you were in the early 20s? Um, like I say, just
1: had a girlfriend, just went to the pub and didn't have any special hobbies. I, I love sport, still do, um, but nothing really great, to be honest. I was very um, quite shy in those days um, and certainly I had to change that when I joined the police yeah. <laughs> and that changed within literally months of me
0: joining. Really? So what challenges were presented that forced you to come out of your shyness?
1: Just basically because you've got to talk to the public you know and in those days you spent a lot more time out on patrol on your own so you didn't have an older more experienced colleague to help you out you had to w- work it out for yourself so that
0: um, was a, a massive thing for me so you were like in a patrol car were you
1: no basically you did a lot more foot patrol in those oh, days Foot patrol. Mm, yeah oh absolutely on your own yeah 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 oh wow yeah
0: And so you just fresh in and they send you out on your own right away?
1: Not right away. You do what was called a street duties course for 10 weeks. So you had an older, uh, mature officer that would take you out and you go and deal with calls and just guide you in the right direction um, in all aspects of the job. And then after that
0: 10 weeks, a lot of the time, yeah, you were out there fending for yourself. (laughs) When you went out with that older, experienced officer, what kind of uh, encounters were you having with the public? Was it... Um, yeah, it was obviously doing some of it was for like traffic offences.
1: Um, we went and dealt with calls. Um, uh, I dealt with my first suicide on those ten weeks, oh, what was that? Um, which is in the book, um, and that was um, it's quite sad, really. It was um, a fellow who lived on his own, didn't have any friends or family, and he um, went to Fort and Heath railway station and um, put his head on the tracks and. Um, I see his head got severed and um that's my first dead body I'd ever seen. And that made me grow up overnight. Oh god. But it's one of those things that everybody's looking at you and you've got you've got to get on a deal with it. There's nobody else. So you're it's like, down to you're you. one of the first at the so, scene, are you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Somebody you've got to pick yeah, I remember we were walking past and yeah, you have to you have to do that. I mean it was different in those days because 'cause we're talking nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Um but uh, with it where his hands he'd clenched his fists and so we had to break his fingers and oh. take fingerprints from him. Um, and I remember getting 17 pounds to do that. <laughs> 17 quid? <laughs> yeah. And obviously yeah. the rigor mortis had set in, so you literally had to break his fingers and take oh fingerprints. But yeah, welcome to policing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that was in my first first 10 weeks, that was. Yeah. So mo- most officers now, um, they have to go and see a um, post-mortem. Um, but I didn't have to because I have seen one since and it is really, really interesting. <laughs> and that sounds a bit gruesome, but it is. They are such clever people. They really are. Um, and uh, so I didn't have to do that. But that was, um, yeah, one of my first bad experiences in policing.
0: When wow. when you are in a situation like that where you're breaking fingers and handling the head and stuff, do you have to have counselling after that? Mm. Uh, it wasn't really any in those days. But uh, you used to talk a lot more to each other and that's something that's
1: missing in the police service now is... They hard, people out on patrol now hardly see each other, you know, because canteens have been taken away. We used to have the control room where you'd all meet up at regular times. Um, and you talk about your experiences, and that would that would really help you. But there was counseling available. I, I don't know how good it was. I certainly didn't have any in
0: those days. Yeah. So what was the next major challenge then? Um,
1: I think... Um, Major challenge, you mean what, as in
0: something psychologically that could have affected you, something that like was a tricky situation? Maybe uh, you had Not, to pursue a criminal or um, a criminal I think away, n-
1: 1987, <laughs> um, I dealt with um, a six week old baby that had been stabbed. Oh, um, my god And, um, oh my you know, obviously we tried to save him.
2: Talk us through that one.
1: And uh, basically, <laughs> mum was suffering from postnatal depression <laughs> yeah. and um, she lived in a flat in Croydon that wasn't fit wasn't fit to live in you know um and um obviously things just got to her and um yeah we got turned we turned up and tried to save this baby but um we didn't oh my god and you just um died. yeah you just uh you know you do your best and um I mean
3: you, you, you just try, feel like you've, you, you feel like you yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah
1: basically yeah yeah so um, that was 1987. So I had three years' service then. Oh wow! So, but I mean, that's that's quite freakish for those two things, you know. Unfortunately, in my career, I've had a lot of stuff happen to me that um, a lot of officers might do thirty years and not experience. Wow!
0: Yeah, I can't believe what so, I'm hearing. That's what—that's um, that's one of the most intense that's, things that's in, I've in ever heard. I've interviewed up. almost a thousand people, and that is just. But, um, yeah. Poor
2: little thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know what? There's thing with it. And you say, I've always wondered what happened to mum. You know, it's very easy that's to understand how question. bad that that's is. But question. what happened to her, I don't know. You know, but clearly to do something like that, you're, silly, you're seriously mentally disturbed, aren't you? Of course. A, we've got a, and not necessarily your fault. We've
0: you know? got a guest called Dr Das, and he worked at Broadmoor. And he, people like that end up, some of them end up with him. And one woman had murdered her brother's baby. Really? Yeah. 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 She went into a psychosis. Yeah. But she, the family took her back and everything because they understood that she'd been through this. And uh, yeah, it was a horrible situation.
2: How do you deal with it? Mm.
0: Yeah. All right. So after after that situation then... um, are you thinking, like you just earlier said, you know, for some reason, many things have happened in your career trajectory. Because these things happened early on, are you thinking, well, maybe this is the right career for me or maybe yeah. this isn't the right career for me? Are you rethinking your occupation? or
1: No, I think, I think because um, when I first joined, the first four years I joined, I was in what's called a section house. Yeah, so there was like about 100 of us, single men and women living in, you had your own like apartment in uh i lived at tooting and um, <laughs> it was just party 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 it was just great fun you nice, know? Nice so that side Indian. took you away yeah, from yeah. The, the sinister side of policing if you like yeah because you know, yeah. it was coming from my background it was a real eye-opener for me and i made the most of it i'll be honest
2: so yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about your good times then
1: well you just um basically you, we, everybody worked the same shift pattern so Depending, didn't matter what uh, station you worked at, you'd all the same people would be off. So you'd go out and living in Tooting is easy to get the tube up uptown and the curry party, party all night yeah, yeah. Sure yeah. Know, okay. or go down to Croydon, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, it was just fun times, real fun times. And I know I said, you know, about two horrendous things I dealt with, but a lot of stuff, it was just it was just good fun. You know, and I'll be honest, going out there catching criminals was good fun.
0: Mm. Take us through yeah. catching your first criminal. Yes. What was the situation? What was the was it called? Um,
1: I got called to Tesco's in Fountain Heath for mm. um, it was um, it was um, a prostitute and her partner had uh, been doing what was called kiting checks in those days. Oh. So they we're stealing checkbooks and signing them off, obviously, and buying goods that way. And, uh, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I had an older, experienced PC with me who, who helped me through it all. So that was my first arrest. And it's quite funny. You never forget your first arrest. Did they give chase? No, they didn't. No, no. No, a basic security guard had caught them. And they, it was all what we call given into custody. So they'd already been
0: been captured by somebody. What was um, your first one where there was problems? Like,
1: there and are- a chase. Uh, the first one I had, I remember, was a, um, a young lad was drink driving on his motorbike. And he couldn't really get on it. So he was drunk in charge basically. And so I went to arrest him and, uh, he didn't like that. So (laughs) we ended up having a bit of a bit of a fight. Should we put it that way? Mm. Yeah. And, um, so I had to call for help with my colleagues and turn up and, uh, got a few scuffs out, you know, a few little cuts and bruises. But (laughs) I know it sounds a bit weird, but when you, Early 20s, it's like it's a bit of fun, it's exciting, isn't it's a bit, it? Absolutely, yeah, spot yeah. on, you know. And um, it, it sounds wrong, but it is, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I remember when he sobered up, he was as nice as anything. <laughs> Very and so many times, <laughs> so many times, you see that as a police officer yeah. where somebody absolutely shows a real hatred for you, but then afterwards, when they sober up or they come, come off their high, they're as nice as anything. Yeah. Different people, you see it so many times,
0: yeah, yeah. Mm. So did they train you in like, any martial arts or restraints or anything like that?
1: Um, yeah, you do.
0: In those days, you didn't do as much as you do now.
1: Now, officer safety is taken very, very seriously. Yeah. Um, and that sort of came in about the time of our shooting, mid-90s. That's mm. when it really started to come in. Um, but um, in those days, yeah, we did have some. I can't say how good it was, and the equipment wasn't so good. So you only had chain link handcuffs and a of wood truncheon. Because right. obviously now you're looking at taser, you're looking at rigid mm-hmm. handcuffs, um, you know, friction lock battens, a lot more protection now than what... And body armour, which we never had. So, Talk yeah. about
2: your first time with the baton, that you used it.
1: Um, I remember it was... I'm going to get done here, aren't I? <laughs> it's, um, I, think, I think the first time I used it was... Um, Crystal Palace versus Birmingham, right. yeah, because uh, Crystal Palace was my local team That um, working at South Norwood. I remember um, they were saying it was going to be a party atmosphere. Well, <laughs> it wasn't much of a party, I've got to say, and uh, the fans just went crazy and they were throwing seats at the police, oh. ripping the seats up, throwing them at police, and then they spilt onto the pitch and it was all kicking off. But it was good fun. <laughs> so, obviously, you've got to defend yourself, haven't you? Because both sets of fans want to have a, have a go at us. So, it's a case of, um,
0: you know, look after yourself. When there's that many people around you, oh God. is it a bit of a head? Does it do something strange to your head? Because it, it could get out of control very easily. It, it? it because does. By, by virtue of numbers. You're always looking mm. out for your colleagues, always covering
1: your colleagues back, looking out for each other. Making sure that they don't get se- separated, things like that. Did anyone get hurt? Uh, I think a lot of people got hurt that day. Public and police. Cops? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Did you get hurt in any situations like that?
1: In in that one, no, no, no. But there were no. other ones you did get yeah, hurt. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Um, got hit with missiles um, what? a couple of times. Like bottles and stuff. Yeah, if, when... Um, I remember one of the worst times was... Um, do you remember the newspaper strike? The... Um, it was up at, um, out east. I'm trying to think what it was now. Whopping. Um, Whopping. That's whapping, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember there was a line of us there, and these missiles, it's like, it's a bit of a police <laughs> saying, yeah, you couldn't see the sky for missiles, but it yeah. was, it was thick. Yeah. And I remember a couple of us got hit, and a girl got hit with a bottle in the nose next to me. Oh. And, um, yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it wasn't nice. Um, yeah, I got hit yeah. with a bottle at Notting Hill Carnival in 1987. Um, but I couldn't show anything because I was going on an eighteen to thirties holiday the next day, so I had to live along with blood God, pouring amazing. out of my knee. So I didn't tell anyone about that one. But I still got the scar there. Wow. Um, wow. but uh, yeah. So wow. how did know. that
2: kick off at Notting Hill?
1: Um, basically when they. Sometimes when they used to turn the sound systems down at eight o'clock is a lot of people didn't want that to happen. So the police are the first people in authority. And um, we're talking a minority because our police are not in your carnival many a times. Mm. And I remember sometimes I had just had the best time of my life, Mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Eating Caribbean food, dancing with the ladies—they're <laughs> they're wearing their hats and stuff like that. But it's all—it's all changed a lot now.
0: Yeah. So, what what position are you in at the police in these early years then? just a, a constable on the emergency response teams constable on the emergency response teams yeah and
1: obviously you have to do what we call aid so you have to go to football matches mm. 9 hill carnival New Year's Eve mm. uh, police demonstrations uh, you know some of it is really enjoyable like Trooping the Colour fantastic <laughs> what's that? Trooping the Colour what's at Buckingham Palace the Royal Family yeah, and, yeah. absolutely brilliant yeah um, stuff like that because it's a different side to policing because all the public want to be there they're very pro-royal aren't they and so mm they tend to be very pro-police, you know, and um, you, d- you don't really get any aggravation, um, and it's, um, it's just, just nice
0: times. Do you know any Royal Protection Cops? Any Royal Protection Cops? Do I know any? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I train quite a few. Oh, you train them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, if I do driving courses, I train oh, them, wow. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. Yeah. What's that like? Yeah. Um same as you and I. It's <laughs> just normal people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but obviously, they're trained in, in different... Um, different ways of, obviously, in their case, protection. Okay. So the people I train is I train all sorts of people from traffic officers to um, arms response officers to um, surveillance
0: officers, all sorts. So how many years were you responding to emergencies for? Uh, 21 years. 21 years? Yeah. And what is the the definition of emergencies? What are
1: included in that? Um, Basically, that would be... It's not all 999 calls, but a lot of them are. So what I did, because I did the driving courses, so I did my pursuit driving and my advanced driving, so you would get um, the real emergency calls, the 999 calls, stuff that's happening now. So you've got to be there Mm. straight away. Whereas some of the other calls you deal with, uh, you might have to go and investigate a burglary or something, and that would be you wouldn't have to get there straight away. Um, So... You'd have a mixture of both. But generally speaking, um I was on what's called the area car at the time. So that's the the fast high performance and your pursuit train. So So what
0: was your first vehicle pursuit?
1: That's what I was gonna ask. Um <laughs> It was I was quite young at the time and I, I was the operator and I didn't know what to do. So my um my um driver took me through it and uh I remember we chased this vehicle and it went into cul de sack and they ran off and I was Fairly fit then, (laughs) and I managed to get them. So, did you? you? Stolen car, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you just legged um, it after all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're jumping up
0: walls and stuff.
1: No, it wasn't. I think they went in a cul de sac and they sort of, you know, (laughs) trapped themselves, really. So, that was was an easy one.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Have you jumped
2: over any hedges? Yeah, in have pursuit. done before, yeah, yeah, sometimes,
1: yeah, yeah, if you get like suspects in gardens and that, and <laughs> <What's> uh, that? <laughs> it's quite, it's quite strange yeah. because I think most police officers have done it, is you've got to climb over a fence, but you haven't climbed over it, you've gone through it, <laughs> you know, yeah. so of course we have to report it as damage to people's property and obviously they got compensated, but um yeah, it does, does happen sometimes, or you think something's secure, or another thing, you might jump over a wall or something, and not realise how how deep the drop is the other side and because you don't always know what you're going into oh there's Um, a dog (laughs) there yeah absolutely (laughs) Does that happen? absolutely yes yeah sometimes you think no i'm not going in that that garden or whatever you know but um yeah so yeah it's it's it is for me it was exciting
2: Mm.
1: it was fun it was exciting it was stressful at times but i think they outweigh each other and the um the um the friendship you build up with your colleagues and that is just, you know, you're looking out for each Comradely. other. I think it's lacking mm. nowadays. I really do.
0: Mm. In society, yeah, not just the police. Yeah. But there, yeah, you really looked out for each other. Good. So you've talked about two fatalities then so far. What was the next fatality that you encountered? Um, I can't remember what the next
1: one was Um in, in chronological order. I can't really remember. Um... I, I remember I dealt with. I think it's in the book about a Rastafarian drug dealer right. that I tried to save in South Norwood, uh, who'd been obviously owed somebody some money and had slashed him across the stomach with a mm. machete, and obviously all his um, intestines are hanging out. And um, myself and a colleague, again, I tried to keep everything in his body, yeah. but uh, he was um, he was clearly dying when we got there. But he, his mum and his sister were there and you've got to do your bit you've got to try for these people and i remember at the end they they weren't very pro-police but at the end they were so grateful to me and my colleague for trying to save him yeah and um that says it all to me um so that was just before i went to brixton because in those days every five or six years you got transferred um, so you didn't get over familiarised with each other which might lead to corruption mm-hmm. stuff like that so um I got sent to Brixton after that mm. uh, what was Brixton like um yeah lively yeah <laughs> there was a lot going on in a very small area and in those days every single shift you'd have a an armed call wow. you know we had an armed response vehicle just posted to Brixton in those days um, but obviously they might get called away somewhere else and um Yeah, it was a lot happening in a much smaller area. And the drug dealing was just so open on the streets. Um, Loughborough Junction, um, obviously um, Railton Road, Atlantic Road, uh, Landor Road. It was just open. You could get anything you wanted there any time of the day. Um, So did you work with like the undercovers? I didn't know. We used to do some work with them, um, like if they were doing a raid... Uh, we'd work together. We might have to go in plain clothes and help them out if we were on a on a uh, shift, a spare shift, yeah, because we used to have five shifts and one was spare. Right. So then you might help out doing stuff like that, which we did quite regularly, um, which was quite good fun, but the results weren't brilliant. What sort of sense? In uh, As in, actually, because a lot of the dealers didn't have the drugs on them. You know, they'd take you elsewhere to get them. they will have a stash hidden around the corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um um, or they'd have somebody else delivering the drugs for them. Push bike example, you know. And we're talking teenagers. Yeah, of course. You know. Mm. So uh, yeah, it was uh, that was an eye opener for me was the openness of it all. Whereas there was a lot of dealing going on in in places like South Nord and Croydon, but it was most of it was behind closed doors, so you didn't physically see it there. And the prostitutes as well, you know, Brixton Hill and that. It was it was just so open.
0: Mm. What about gun crime in Brixton?
1: Yeah, as I said, every every shift you get an armed call.
0: An armed call an every armed. How shift.
1: Every, and you look at an area that's probably two miles square.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and some of it you just you just you just went just as a normal wow. Bobby. So, yeah. what is an
0: armed call? Does that mean like someone's reporting a gun? Someone's reporting gunfire? Um, um, there's a could, gunman could, lurking. Yeah, it could be could be anything. <laughs> Um it could be anything from
1: um shots fired. Um it's quite f- strange actually because coming on to that is I remember going to a call um that was shots had been fired through a window. Yeah. Little did I know it was Leroy Smith
2: ah, <laughs> who had done it,
1: yeah. Okay. Um and um I think th- it's in, in the book. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And now we've talked about it since together. Um so yeah, something like that. somebody might have been in possession of a gun, somebody might have been threatened with a gun. Um
0: So does that require like a tactical response unit?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does now. in those days, yes, it was just sort of like the beginning of the armed response unit, there was now it's um yeah, it's 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 um How would you kit up back then then? Well you literally just had your <laughs> you trunching and you and your handcuffs. No body vest no eh? or anything. No, no, not in those oh, no, days. Oh, no, that started to come out. Room? Yeah, no, it didn't. Oh, my no? there was some available, but it's um, it was um, it wasn't an open thing that everybody had it. You had some in the cars that you could put on if you went to a call, but it wasn't. Not everybody had them in their cars. Oh, you God. know, but I mean, we're talking uh, early nineties, so we're talking a long time ago. I mean, now the arm response vehicles, they are. Phenomenal the equipment yeah. they've yeah. got and their tactics phenomenal, f- fantastic people.
0: But didn't you feel vulnerable going out without Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say Absolutely, yeah. Did you, you did. voice
0: did you voice that to your colleagues?
1: Yeah, everybody knew yeah. and it's um it's one of those things that you and I do accept that police officers shouldn't expect to get assaulted but you gotta be real. If you go out there in those environments something is gonna to happen to you. It's just a case of how severe Mm. That that's the way that we looked at it and I think the other days in those days if you had if you had what we call a roll around with a prisoner like a vice drunk fella <laughs> yeah is you'd expect to get a few cuts and bruises you didn't report his as assault and police it was part and part parcel of parcel with a job you know whereas now you're really encouraged to report stuff like that you it's know all documented absolutely yeah. yeah and that's not a bad thing you know so,
0: so, um, so on these uh, firearms uh, calls then what kind of things did you personally experience
1: um, i um I can remember going to a call where a it's usual call it's what we call an abandoned call for police so someone's phone nine 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 and they're just heard screaming at the end of the phone. That's it. The line's gone dead. I remember we got called to this this address and um you need to really go in and make sure everyone's okay. And there was a woman at the top of the stairs and she said, no, she was clearly upset. And she said, no, I'm all right. I'm right. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nobody else here. I'm totally okay. And I haven't really got anything else we can do. We've got nothing else to go on. And uh, she said, oh, I've aroused my partner and he's disappeared. Right. Well, we've got no power to go in there. She's got no physical injuries that we can see. And uh, it turned out next day that um, her partner had got a gun to her back at the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. And um, we didn't know that at the time. So we'd gone in. That could have been <laughs> Was she okay? Different. Yeah, she, I think she was, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, a lot of this stuff, a lot of people, in, certainly in those days, they didn't follow it up. You know, mm. they. The, you know, the, the way that domestic violence was dealt with is so much different nowadays. Mm. You know, and the for the better. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, much better than what it used to be. Of course. Did you arrive on the scene where other people
0: had been shot?
1: Um, yes, I did. I remember going to a. We was in the canteen, uh, and uh, a um, sounds of. Um, Someone had been shot in Brixton Academy, right opposite um it'd been a big reggae party or something, and by the time we got there all the evidence had been discarded and gone. And um yeah, somebody had been been shot dead there. Oh
0: wow. So, shot dead. Yeah. Grief. Yeah. So what other challenges were there in Brixton for you?
1: Um obviously because of the nineteen eighty one riots, there was a lot of deep feeling, um, and I would say sometimes almost hatred towards the police but I'm not saying it's necessarily a one-sided thing yeah okay it takes two doesn't it you know and I'm glad to say we've really moved on a long long way from those days so sometimes if you stop somebody in the street you might get surrounded you know um, and obviously now it's different People, everyone's out as soon as you stop somebody the mobile phones are out and it, 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 it's, it's, it's not, not easy for the officers it's not easy you know, in our day, uh, it wasn't easy, but it was different.
0: Yeah, we interviewed Peter Blexley. He said the same thing. Yeah. He was in Brixton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever, were you ever working alongside him? I, I know the name. Yeah. But I, I've not actually worked with him. Okay. Uh,
1: yeah, so so that was another issue. He was, I think
0: he was there when the riot went off. Yeah. Pro- he was working when the riot they went the off. Because I had the riots in 81 and obviously so before the your time, in the 85. It? Yeah, 85
1: I was there. 85. Yeah. 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 And again, uh, where I was, there was somebody called Leroy Smith on the other side, throwing <laughs> stuff at us. And it's amazing how you how you meet up later on in life and got yeah. these stories. Is you know, definitely. It, it's a ama- our story is is just amazing, absolutely amazing.
0: Did you have to respond to any riot situations?
1: As in straight away? No. This generally it was. Um, in fact, yeah, the eighty five one, we went up from South Norwood, a load of us. And um, they're just calling for reinforcements. What happened there? We got deployed and, um, I can still remember it is that I was deployed on this shield unit and we used to have, um, uh, three shield, long shields and th- three officers and two at the back. I remember being on the outside shield, so you're a little bit exposed on the outside. And the middle guy was an ex Marine, ex Falklands Marine. And, uh, he said, Do you want to spot places, son? I said, no, no, I'll stay here. And he said to me, um, I was in the Falklands, he's gone, and I'm more scared now. Mm. Amazing. Wow.
2: Yeah. And what uh, did it look like? We, on it the was,
1: we didn't actually get, we, we had a few missiles thrown at us on, on that occasion where, where I was, um, but I can't say it was really horrendous. It's the thought of what might happen,
2: yeah.
1: not what actually is happening at the time. You
2: yeah. Know? So it didn't get that bad.
1: Not where I was. I know some officers. People did. died, didn't they, in that? Mm-hmm. Um I'm. I'm not sure. I think 81 they did. Oh, 81 was but it? 85. Okay. I, I, I. I don't know. I
0: yeah, it's a long what, time ago. Oh, yeah. What? What were the hurriest situations for you then over your entire career?
1: Um, I think. Um, I've got commended ten times for bravery, which is quite a lot. What's um, the first one then? Yeah.
0: And the first one, the, the first 10.
1: one's really interesting. I was in South Norwood, and um, my operator. It was her. It was her, I was driving the emergency response vehicle, the, the, the area car, and it was her birthday. So we was we went into Lowescombe Road in Croydon to get some um, cakes for the troops. Yeah? <laughs> and uh, this uh, man walked out of a jeweller shop. It's middle of summer and he's got an overcoat on, he's got gloves on. And he's got like one of these metal camera cases and he sees us and the body language is just, no, nah, I don't like this. And he, he uh, just runs off. So we go after him, and he jumps on a um, uh, a bus, so we jump on, and as we get to him, he just pulls out a massive knife, which we managed to grab hold of his arm, have a big oh. fight with him, and uh, transpired he'd um, tied up all the staff and stolen £16,000 worth of jewellery oh, in those shit. days. So it was a nice, nice little job. But, oh my God. you know, if the timing had been a couple of seconds later, yeah. <laughs> I might not be here, you know. Oh um, so that was the first one I had. What was the second one? Um, I'm trying to think what the second one was now. Um, I, oh, I, went to, um, I went to a call in Brixton in a block of flats where abandoned call, sound of disturbance, that's all it was. And I was with my colleague and I thought he was behind me. And I see this door open and a woman crying. Oh so God. I go in. Next thing is, the door slammed behind me and I've got a carving knife to my throat. Oh. And it's like, um, this man is just high on crack. I'll never forget his eyes, never. And he said, I can either jump out the 13th floor or I can be stabbed. They made me take my kit belt off because then we had the kit belts. So that's when he'd just come in. And, uh, so I ch- and my colleague was, had been locked outside, so he couldn't get in. But luckily, the girl that had, um, Called us. She'd managed to crawl to the front door and open it, so the, the rest of my team could get in. And I remember just trying to talk sense into this bloke. And um in the end, he got got arrested. And um how did was, you get the knife off? Basically, when the troops turned up, I just just grabbed him. What? He had okay. two knives, two carving knives. That he put in a cross in front of me. He goes, no. "Pick your knife, yeah." <laughs> and his his eyes just yeah what so, was, what was going
0: about, what was going through your head I just got
1: to talk to him what what do you do just got to talk to him what were you saying so um just you know what's all about you know I, I, I have issues at home and all that you know it's not just you I, it happens to all of us i'm the same as anyone else i'll just wear a uniform i'll just do a job and um well you can't yeah. yeah you got to be yeah you, if because if you if you show any um you've got to be calm or try and be calm you're not inside, but outside you've got to sign and show it so it doesn't uh provoke the situation um so that was another one oh um wow. I was trying to think uh oh one quite recently when I was at the driving school funny enough is um I was doing a dem drive on blue lights and I came down through um uh I forget where it is now north London was it Finsbury road something like that, and I see a um Security van parked up with hazard lights on, and when we do our drive and we do commentary, as in what we see and what we're doing, what we what we intend to do about stuff. I remember seeing two two fellas run across the road, and I said, oh, "I bet they've been naughty boys." And of course, everybody laughs. I've got three students with me, PCs, and um, the security guard flags down, and says, "Oh, they've just nicked my cash box. No mention of firearms, nothing." So, um, members of the public are pointing down this side road and, um, I drive into the side road and this Golf GTI makes off. Well, I'm a bit old, so it's like, right, I'm having you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we give chase and, um, we give chase and, um, we haven't got, we, we did have equipment in those days, but it's in the boot of the car because we're training. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't think about coming across something like this. <laughs> anyway, they go into a cul de sac and they get out. And they run off, and as they run off, one of them from about twenty-five yards just pulls a handgun out, fires two shots at us, and his left armpit. Where they went, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't need to know. And again, we uh, had a massive fight with one of them because they separated. Yeah. Uh, one of them got followed um, by the two by two officers, and the ARVs came and took them out at knife point, at yeah. gunpoint. Sorry, and. He had a weapon on him with two rounds missing. And we, uh, myself and a female colleague, we challenged the other person and had a massive fight with him. She ended up in hospital. And um, in the car was um, about 10 grand's worth in cash. All right, so that's three of them. Yeah. So what's the other seven? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think um, one of them was um, when I worked at Bromley. I had one at Bromley where... Um, a fella was just, um, I'd had, had some domestic issues and was just walking down a road in Penge with a carving knife. And, uh, obviously that's what we get called to. And I remember, um, telling him to see sense, put the knife down and he was walking away from us. Um, so I, I had CS spray then in those days, but I couldn't use it cause it's back to us. So it's a bit pointless. Mm. And he, um, eventually he did see sense, um, uh, but again, it was one of those <laughs> touch and go moments. You can't just go and grab him from the rear because he could just turn around and, you know, that could be bad. Another one I had what, was. Oh, in, what,
0: what do you mean by he saw sense? I,
1: yeah. just, he managed, to, I managed to talk him round. to talk. Okay. It. What did you say? And uh, drop I the knife. probably said, yeah, yeah. probably told him, I'm police were on the way, put it down or you get shot, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and um, another one I had in Bromley was there was. Um, a um we were driving down Bromley High Street in the early hours, just to hear this girl screaming mm. and um somebody ran off. A bloke ran off when he saw the police car. So basically he's tried to grab this girl at knife point and um I chased the suspect and um ended up catching up with him. Again, we're having a bit of a fight, he's got I've got a knife, I've got a knife, I'm gonna stab you, I'm gonna kill you. And uh I'll be I'll be honest, I lost it with him. Yeah, because I can, because I need to defend my life. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I hurt him. And I'm pleased I hurt him. Good. Yeah. And um, basically, um, he'd got this knife and I wasn't really happy. We managed, I, I can't remember how he managed to do it, but he we went round to his house and uh, did what we called in the old days a sex in 18, increasing... Okay. Police and Criminal Evidence Act um, to search his premises and we found a load of um, child pornography in his house Whoa. and he had um, he had um, like um, these uh, handcuffs and straps and belts where he was obviously going to do something to somebody. And, Did he uh, know the woman? No. No so he was like stalking her? Yeah, yeah. basically yeah. So, oh um God, well done with that one. Yeah, yeah well done. And um yeah, so I was, uh, arrested uh, a burglar in Brixton. Uh, we got trapped in an office with him, and what? he assaulted six officers. How'd you get trapped in office? Yeah, uh, it just because we climbed him through the uh, like the skylight at the <laughs> top because we'd been surrounded. We couldn't get into the building. That's how oh, he yeah. got in. So that's yeah. how he's got in. And so we just climb in, and the next thing is we can't get out, can we? Because we're locked in this this office block. <laughs> and he wants to fight all. And of he it. wants yeah. yeah, and he's high on on. Most things, yeah. And, so he's not uh, feeling pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's that's a, absolutely. He's lively. So, he's lively. Yeah, he, got, uh, he got convicted of um, eight assaults Agreed. from police officers. Um, did, he again, whack, did he whack obviously you? Obviously yeah, what he yeah, Yeah, yeah. He pushed me into, uh, I'll cut my back open, pushed me into a, a, like a locker, steel locker. No. So. Was it dark as well in the... It, it, it was a bit of sunlight coming uh, not sunlight a bit of uh, street light coming through but it was it was yeah kind of like fighting dark, oh, the, yeah. dark. Yeah. It's like yeah. a movie so yeah that was one and um, yeah it's um, like I said it's an unusual career I had very unusual yeah but one I'm
0: proud of as well of course well, we've yeah, got five
1: yeah. more three or 4 yeah three or four it's difficult be, for me to think I of think all of really them
0: two at once yeah, it's got I two. I was trying to count. you up to six. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't think. So when you That's get really this impressive. award then for bravery? You
1: yeah. get different levels. You get different levels. So um, like for the, obviously the shooting with Leroy. Um, that was one, yeah. That was mm. one. And I got a special inspectors one, which is unofficial, mm. but that for me meant so much. Where did mm. you get that one? That was, that was at Brixton for the shooting. Right. So I got one from the commissioner. For that. So you have different levels of commendations. So like the ones with the knives at Bromley, that was like what they call a barrow commendation. Yeah. So for the shooting, i got got commissioners. You can get higher commissioners. That's like for people that challenge the terrorists, like at London Bridge and places like that. And rightfully so. And then obviously you can go above that with the, um, I think it's the George Cross. I think it is. It's the next one above that, which one or two people have had.
0: So that was it. Did you, um, did you have any dealings with terrorists, the IRA, or anything like that?
1: Uh, obviously, been to incidents or might be on a cordon, um, but that's that's it. Yeah. So, I'm glad to say. So,
0: so, be, so, before we get to the, you know, what happened with Leroy, then, what what other intense things happened in your career that we've not talked about,
2: or have you been shot more times?
0: <laughs> were, you, were you shot no, at I'm due, th- I'm due
2: one
0: <laughs> <laughs> Prior to Leroy Anyone took a shot at you well, um,
1: Was that one No not, Oh no That was afterwards That's Since I've been at the Drive and school That was in 2007
0: ah. So what was the most harm Ever done to you Prior to Leroy Leroy <sighs> I,
1: I, I had been assaulted A couple of times but only probably actual bodily harm, you know, black eye, something like that. Black eye, something like that. Yeah, but not uh, not
0: anything really, really severe. Were they like drunken people? Or? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that yeah. a bad call out when you got to go in and someone's pissed, manoeuvre some drunks?
1: Uh, it is hard. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: and it's yeah, it is hard because you can, you you have to justify your use of force and sometimes people look at it and think yeah that's disproportionate but actually when you're there at the time it's not it's like i hear people say well why does it take five people to restrain somebody have you ever seen somebody including women who when they kick off they absolutely kick off and they don't as you said sean they don't feel any pain Mm -hmm. you know but now like i said to you it's changing because of the equipment we've
0: got is really really so so much better um what what about other corpses you encountered then after the Jamaican guy died? Was there any more fatalities?
1: Um yeah, I've been to <laughs> I've been to um several fatal accidents. Okay. Um, just like road traffic accidents, yeah, yeah. Yeah, been to several. Um couple of other suicides. Mm. Um one was really, really sad. I won't forget it because she was uh she was um a young girl that was training to be an athlete and she hadn't made the grade for England. Um, And she went to do the usual hose pipe in a car oh. in, in a wooded area. And we got there just before she died. Oh. But literally about four weeks later... What we, did that look like? We got a call to the same location and she'd actually done did it. Done it. And that's because her career hadn't gone the way she wanted to.
2: That's one hell of a way to kill yourself, yeah. isn't
1: it? It is, yeah. I did dealt with another similar one where a guy his his wife had been seeing someone else and he'd done the same thing you know and left a suicide note and it's 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 so sad it's so sad you know that some people they 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 just some some sometimes people don't think they can get help but you, there is help out there and especially nowadays um yeah so um yeah i i can remember dealing with another another suicide that was in Brixton and um I don't know if I should say this or not, but uh, his parents were way down. Um It wasn't gruesome, it was tablets, mm. drinking tablets, yeah. And uh, he was a young lad. who, Again, he hasn't achieved what he wanted to in life. And his family were coming down, so the place was a, a mess. <laughs> Me and a colleague tidied it up before his parents came down. Oh, yeah. Just as, as a token for us, yeah. as a bit of relief and say, look, they can't see this. They're going through enough grief, you know and I'll never forget that it was just I don't know why you think of things like that why you do it I don't know but it made us feel good
3: can you imagine your business message sprawled across the side of a building with bright lights and brilliant colours blazing forth through the magic of the out of the box approach everyday architecture becomes show stopping advertising are you ready to make people pay attention to what you have to say you're ready for out of the box custom projector screens we can place large-scale, captivating ads on the size of buildings, turning bland walls into instant works of art, with you at the centre. This grassroots option, offering an incredible amount of flexibility and awareness, allows you to explore your edgy side, putting something out there that's sure to get people talking, while illuminating the night with your brand's message. This form of advertising is all about the element of surprise which is why projection media is one of the best ways of getting your business noticed. When we transform buildings into brand bolstering digital billboards and place them in high traffic areas where plenty of eyes will be unable to avoid advertisements, our clients are beyond thrilled. We'd love to do the same for your business. The bottom line here is that it's impossible for this promotion tactic to go unnoticed and when accompanied by other marketing elements, your brand will be the buzz for weeks to come. Now. Doesn't that sound exciting? The out of the box staff is a fearless crew of folk, so we don't believe in limits. Our team will help you create a campaign that's perfect for your unique goals. Promoting an event, launching a new product, strategizing to increase your social media game. Projection advertising is the perfect complement for any advertising efforts that wants to attract a massive audience.
0: Did you ever get stuck in any tricky situations? Um. Oh, not,
1: um, uh, uh, not really. Only the one I said to you, but where the um, in the flat with f- fellow with a knife. Yeah, um, that 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 was where I'd say, yeah, I got stuck. Yeah, um, but um, lucky it was only for a few minutes. Uh,
0: All right, so let's go. Oh, to, oh,
2: to yeah, start the, the Leeway story. <laughs> start <laughs> the serious what, stuff.
0: What what year did this happen? Where were you at in your career? And take us through the day. Right,
1: well, I was working at Brixton, nineteen ninety four. Um I was late shift. Um so went to work as normal. Um I was driving the area car, you know, the advanced car pursuit trained. Uh, and um it was just a normal late turn, it was busy and uh I was with a younger colleague. Um and um we used to I had a young family then big mortgage so I used to look for a couple of hours overtime because my wife then would be in bed so what's the point of coming home to an empty room you know might as well learn a couple of hours extra of you know? so in those days there was a pub called the Atlantic pub it's not it, the pub is there now but it's 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 um a lot different <laughs> and uh it was run by an old West Indian called Louis he was a lovely fella but he couldn't stop the drug dealing going on and it had two doors, it's right in the corner of um Atlantic Road and Cold Harbor Lane. So if you saw somebody going one door and out the other within two or three minutes, all that, you knew they bought gear. Yeah. So so easy to justify, you stop and search. And if you had a bit of puff, sometimes you might get, you know, some rocks or something. Yeah take me into custody for a couple of hours what happened to them caution or charge I wasn't really (laughs) too bothered about it's the extra hours to process them that we were interested in so on this day we decided to do that and uh, as we drive along the road we see this motorbike overtakes us two fellas on it and um, one of them Leroy was the peeling passenger gets off goes in one door in Atlantic the motorbike Rider speeds off, goes for a red light. Well, I'm not going to bother giving chase on a high performance motorbike. Nice. Yeah, it's pointless. Yeah. Okay. So leo has gone in the pub. So we turn the corner. And as we turn the corner, we see the rider has obviously parked the bike up, still got his crash helmet on. And he sees us, and the body language is like, it's the old Bill. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And <laughs> it? it's the Gathers. Yeah, I'm done.
2: Stand off. You know?
1: And he's just like, he stopped in his tracks. Still got his crash helmet on. So, myself and Simon turn into Rushcroft Road where he'd parked the bike, see the bike, do a vehicle check on it. No current keeper. The old suspicions are growing now, aren't they? So, we spin round the block and now we see Leroy and his colleague in a chicken takeaway shop just round the corner from the pub. Crash helmet's still on. They might have been tilted back slightly but they were still on. So, again, what's that all about? So, Leroy's been in the pub for a minute two minutes maximum something's not right the bike that's not registered it's all starting to get together now and it the bike's done a red light it's all not just just not right is it mm. so i think often as a police officer you you do get a six cents sometimes yeah okay the facts are there but it's like saying yeah we got to stop these people so, but we want to get them on the bike yeah okay or with the bike so we spin round the block again and as we pull into Rushcroft this time they're just about to get onto the bike Okay, so I pull up the police car, all chilled out and that, alongside. We get out, and we tell them, yeah, take your crash helmets off. We see you the, like, the drugs pub. You're only been there for a very short time. You haven't taken your helmets off. It's a drugs pub. Yeah, going to search you for drugs. And there wasn't any real change until we separated them, yeah? So um, I go to search the rider, okay, and my colleague goes to to search Leroy. So we separate him. Textbook stop, back to back, so they can't converse with each other. And my guy drops something on the floor, and I think that's that's rocks, yeah? So I'll go to push him against the wall so I can secure the evidence, yeah? And out my peripheral vision, I see Leroy struggling with my colleague. My colleague is quite a bit bigger than Leroy, because there's not a lot to him, is there? (laughs) Yeah? And he's nearly got the better of him. And then literally... Um, literally, just before I touched my, pushed my bloke against the wall, the atmosphere just changed. Can't say what it was. It changed. Yeah. Something is seriously not right now. Seriously not right. We've gone over that line. We've gone too far. You can't go back now. You can't go back. Yeah. And the atmosphere just changed. And then I just see Leroy pull a handgun out, hits my colleague in his thigh, goes off, breaks his leg. Oh. Okay, and Lee always told me to disappear, um, and that's when things slow down, slow motion. Yeah, this isn't really happening. Yeah, this is a nightmare. The alarm's going to go off in a minute, but it's happening. Yeah, and it's like it's almost like I don't know if you ever had an accident, but you almost see it happening before it happens, and there's yeah. nothing you can. Is that sort of thing, but. Intensify by a hundred times. That's the way I describe it. And I literally, Leroy tells me to do one. In other words, obviously, <laughs> and I literally turn round. What do you do? You got an injured colleague screaming in pain. Yeah, I have got nothing to protect myself. I am totally, totally helpless. Helpless. I've got nothing. And uh, you know you're going to get hit. It's just how and where. So Leroy fires another shot. Uh, just as I turn round, it hit me in my back, about a centimetre from my spine. Goes across the top of the kidney and just rips, rips oh. me side out. Um So, can you describe the pain? F- for me, the mental pain was worse than the physical pain at the time. But yeah, it is. It's like I'd say somebody's got a red hot needle and just pushed it through your body. Oh. That's how I describe it,
0: and. Have, have, the, have a quick drink and a quick, quick dab.
1: The adrenaline.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're <all> right. Mm.
3: <laughs> God, it's.
0: Um, I can't believe you, you're lucky to be alive, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that, that brings me on to other stuff. Yeah. You, you, that's why you got to make the most of life, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Got a party, party, party.
0: <laughs> all right. So you, so you were saying that it was like a red hot needle push through your body. Pushing wow. through and, your body. And um,
1: I managed to uh, dive down in the road because this all happened on the pavement mm. and get some protection. So um, I remember calling out for help on the radio. And um,
0: was that the first time you'd called for help
1: on, in this was, situation? It was, yeah. 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 Yeah, there's no other reason to. Because obviously, when it started, when Leroy was struggling with um, my colleague, my first intention was to go and help him, you know. But and that's when Leroy just told me to disappear. Um, so I lay down in the road, and then I could just feel the blood flowing out of my exit wound. So um, training kicks in. I, I, I've got a back injury. I've got. I've got to look after myself. Where was I've the got exit to- wound? The exit wound was just around oh. the side, so um, I put three fingers into my exit wound into oh. it, yeah, into That's it how you stop to it. stop the bleeding,
2: not on top of it,
1: it basically in it.
2: Oh,
1: yeah, and just squeezed and pushed as hard as I could because so uh, your there. training kicks in, it's survival, yeah, basically oh. like that. Yeah, mm. so so just push those in as hard as I could. Is like putting your fingers horrible. in your body? <laughs> yeah, it is horrible, but. Mm. Survival. Survival, survival, survival kicks in. I've got to survive, mm. and that's something I'd say to anybody if you if you're in a traumatic incident, is you've got to think survival. Did you you've got think to think survival. Get a nightmar nice of
2: clothing, like to put a nightmare of clothing over it. Well, um, obviously,
1: no. days we used to wear what we call the woolly pulleys, the blue NATO jumpers. Yeah, so obviously that just been ripped away. So you just don't think, you just think, I've got, I've got to stop get the bleeding. On it fast. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, so your first day kicks in and it's just that sign of positivity. Like my colleague had the same thing. I'm not dying here. I am not dying in this road. So and you get on the radio and, and, um, so I've done that. And obviously the troops are on the way. Now then what's, what's happened is, is, and I didn't know this until I read Leroy's book. Yeah. Is on the motorbike was an anti-theft device. So when you touch the bike. It won't start for about a minute or two minutes. And that's what had happened. Because Leroy and his colleague are shouting at each other. And I'm thinking, just disappear, just do one. Because I've called for help. The last thing I want is my colleagues turning up with a with a gunman. And what it was is that Leroy's colleague wanted to run off. And Leroy was screaming at him, telling him not to. So as I'm on the radio, Leroy fires a warning shot. Now when he fired that shot, I can't see my colleague and my colleague's gone quiet and I just think he's just wasted him. Yeah? Okay. Little I didn't know until afterwards that it was a warning shot in the air to his colleague. Not to us, to his colleague. So eventually they got on a bike and they've disappeared and then my colleagues have turned up.
0: Um and then we What got was going through your head as yeah. you're waiting for them and how long did it I, take? I
1: can remember thinking, please um you know, um, Please don't turn up now until they went. I no. didn't want them. I didn't we want them to come in here. And I'm thinking, don't, I've called I for help, but die. I don't actually want you here at the moment. It's a real, real weird, weird feeling. And, um,
0: but you're in a race against time as well.
1: Absolutely. And then the first, um, car that turned up was it was a really nice friend of mine, a bloke called Floody. He, um, sadly, he got killed in a car accident. Uh, motorbike accident, sorry, a few years ago, but he nearly ran me over because I was in the road, and we all had a lot of laughs and jokes about <laughs> it. And uh, he came up to me and he's gone, "Oh, you're breathing, you're all right." And he went over to see my colleague, <laughs> and we had so, we had so many laughs about that. What was your blood you know?
0: situation by this point? Um, and were you going faint? No, no, I wasn't. No. Adrenaline, no,
1: no, adrenaline keeps you going, yeah, and just that that and will you successfully that will kept the blood things. from coming it, out. It, it was still coming out. It was, it it's still leaking it out. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Were you you monitoring it while you are waiting for them?
1: um, Just kept my hand on it. I think that's all I can do. At any point, did you think you were going to die? The only time I thought I was going to die was when um, Leroy and his colleague didn't disappear and I thought he would just come round and and finish us off. Okay? And that's one of the reasons why I did forgive Leroy because he could have done that. He had the time, he had the means.
0: And he didn't do it. Did your life flash in front of you at that moment then? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. How does that I, feel? I had
1: two young young daughters, two and four at the time. And I just thought I might not see him again. Wow. But then I thought I've got to, I've got to see him, got to. And um, it is that thing that, as I said, a traumatic incident, you have to think positive. I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to get out, of it. I'm going to live, I'm going to get out of it. And that was part of our part of training in those days that we were taught that. I don't know if they still teach it, I don't know um but but um being positive certainly helped so they disappeared and also i got to take to king's college hos- hospital um does so the ambulance come right away or did the cops yeah yeah if, every ambulance in south london went went there wow yeah, that's amazing yeah yeah and uh when um when i um yeah went to hospital uh i had surgery uh i was only in there for four days but I had to go back every day for a month to have the wound dressed. What surgery did you have? Uh, I basically had it st- the wound stitched on the inside because then all the um, any bad fluids. Will drain out of either side, either Ooh. end. So with with a bullet wound, obviously the entry is about the size of the bullet. The exit is four or five times the size. Mm. So it just just rips out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, my colleague had a broken leg, so he was in hospital for three weeks, and then he went to um, Headley Court in Surrey, where they do the. It's a the army. Uh, uh, re- rehabilitation centre, and he was the only person there then that had been shot because that was pre Iraq and Afghanistan. So he had specialist wow. treatment there. Um, and managed to, we both managed to, um, go back and we both went back to Brixton for, to work after six months. Oh, wow. yeah. So we had a choice. We could go anywhere we wanted, but we both said, look, we've got to prove this to ourselves that we can go and work in one of the toughest places, um, in the UK. What was the reaction
0: of your family members to you deciding to go back?
1: Um, I don't think they were too happy, no. I think they wanted me to take an easier life. Did you have a
0: conversation with them?
1: Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, It's obviously discussed at length, but um, I just felt it was perhaps a bit selfishly, I've got to prove it to myself. Right. I mean, I had people say to me, you'll never work on the streets again, and I thought, well, why not? What happened to the bullet? Um... <laughs> that was um obviously they recovered all three. Um I managed to get the bullet after the uh after the trial and I had a necklace made of it, but I lost it during a struggle with a prisoner a okay. few years oh. later. Oh. So it was a bit uh yeah, a bit of a shame really, but um yeah, so uh
0: yeah. So while all those ambulances are coming to you, I imagine there are mass police going after Leroy at this point, Arda
1: um obviously cuz the bike wasn't registered as it turned out his uh, his colleague was being was under surveillance and they'd lost him and i think that's a good thing cuz the last thing you want to see is a surveillance officer just two uniform colleagues getting shot isn't it yeah mm. um so they knew who the bike was being ridden by so they obviously he right went and go. got taken out that evening mm-hmm. um they found leroy's prints on the back of the bike um and uh, by then he'd gone to um, Holland and then obviously on to Connecticut from there.
0: When you say that yeah. the bike had been taken out that evening, where did they find him at? At, at his home address. So that they, yeah, swat which that, was nearby. That they swat that then with the um, response? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. And that, how, did, how did the cops learn that Leroy was in Holland?
1: They found his prints on the bike and um, I didn't, they didn't know at the time he was in Holland. Mm. It, that came out few weeks later. A few weeks later. Mm.
0: So there's a search going on, thinking that he's still in London. Yeah. But he's evaded. Yeah. How long don't. did he evade for? I think he was away for nearly a year, I think. Good grief. Yeah. Was that frustrating to, for you to think that the culprit had not been apprehended? Mm-hmm. Um, Perhaps he's n- got going to n- get away with it Yeah, this. it was
1: frustrating, but I also understood, yeah, that these they're not going to hang about and stay in the in the UK when i found out about his background that he was over the side from prison that
0: that made it more
1: yeah why he wasn't caught there and then so
0: so when you learned who it was what went through your head
1: um i, I was really pleased that he got extradited obviously and that he would um face trial for for what he did to myself and my colleague um sense of relief that yeah finally he was in custody now Uh, Because you always, I know it wasn't personal, but you still thought, you know, you can easily find out where people live in life. And I'm just thinking, what happens if he, you know, comes looking for me
0: to do the job properly? Yeah, and I I did think of that. Um, Did you discuss it with your other colleague who'd been shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was his uh, morale like after the incident?
1: Um, Pretty much the same as, as mine, really. You know, we discussed about getting back to work, about... Getting on with our lives really and not trying to make too much of it. You do, obviously, you know. Um, for me, um, I had a real sense of guilt that A could I have done more, and I know I couldn't, but you still doubt yourself. And the other thing for me is that my colleague's injuries were far more serious than mine. Like, I felt so guilt, so much guilt over that. Um, and he was a young lad, fit young lad, you know. Um did he lose a lot of blood because you can lose a lot of blood here, can't you? Um I think he did, yeah. Yeah, but obviously the seriousness was in the breakage. Mm. So um yeah, so um yeah, that, that was a thing for me on it. Real real sense of guilt and um but also a determination to prove to people that I could still do this job, a job that I love doing.
0: Most of the time,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> obviously.
1: But
0: yeah. and you were you given any therapy after that incident?
1: Yeah, I had uh, I had some counselling, and the counsellor I had, she was brilliant. Mm. Um, she had done a lot of the victims from the Zeebrugge disaster, the, the ship that sank. Oh, okay. So she'd done a, dealt with a lot of victims of that, and she was really good. And w- w- you know, one of the things for me with counselling is you get people with a lot of qualifications but they haven't got the life experience. You know, I, I can tell you all about PTSD because I know what it's like, yeah? With somebody who hasn't suffered it, they haven't got that same knowledge of it. They might read books about it. They might be qualified in, in dealing with it, but it's different. Yes. How was your PTSD in those six months? Um, I, I think for me, it wasn't just a six months. It lasted for years because I had, as we discussed, a string of incidents. So if you heard a loud you know, noise,
2: would it set you off? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it still does, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I don't like Bonfire Night. I'll be honest, mm-hmm. I don't like it. Um, but I, um, but yeah, it's it was an accumulation, and that's the same with police officers. Um, before we went on air, I was saying about that most people in their lives suffer about ten lots of trauma. That's including family members dying, uh, which we sadly all go through. Um, but with police officers, it might be three or four hundred. Lots of trauma that you experience, and that has to have an effect on you. And some people don't actually show it, but for me, it was, it was horrendous. It was horrible. And if if it's like I'm not, um, you know, if, if somebody says you they've got a serious illness, something like cancer, yeah, uh, which has affected all of all nearly everybody in some way, shape, or form, is not it, in their lives? Yeah, is you naturally. Sympathise with that person, you show them love, you show them care, you show them support. Well with PTSD, you just go and get back on with your life. Mm. But it's deep down inside um is this horrible creature that's eating away at you all the time. You know. Um yeah, re- really bad. And and you talk to people and they don't always understand. You've got to have somebody who's a good listener. You know, not just a case of just listening to the right words, you know, or saying the right words. you you got to understand them. Of
2: course. Yeah.
0: Would you say that the only person who completely understands it is your colleague who was shot with you?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, No, I would say other people have been through similar things. Mm. Yeah,
0: similar incidents.
1: Yeah, and I've spoken to a lot over the years.
0: So you go back to work after six months. Are they going to give you an easy position now because of what you've been through or you you think right I gotta get right back to improve myself
1: obviously nowadays they wouldn't let you do that you'd have to go back gradually but in those days I went back for four hours a day on the shift (laughs) and (laughs) then I made it to six and then by Christmas I was doing eight for eight hours and yeah.
0: the situations arise that triggered you in a different way than you'd previously because of what you've been through the yeah PTSD. yeah absolutely
1: yeah, but the way the way I look at it and the way I look at trauma is don't don't deal with what might have happened deal with what did happen and learn to live with that because if we if we thought about what might happen, I wouldn't get in my car and drive home now no. yeah, so what did happen yeah, I'm still here, my colleague's still here. Yeah, I have still got my health. Centimeter away, could have been a different story, but it wasn't meant to be. What was your? First, I'm lucky. What was your first major challenge when you got back? Um, I think really it was just a case of, um, just having the confidence to dealing with the public again and realizing that uh, it's not all bad people that live here. And it'd be surprised that when I went back to work. The amount of people that came out and spoke to me, like members of, of the black community, especially. And I remember, and I put it in that book, I was in, um, in, uh, Cold Harbour Lane in a van one summer afternoon. And it was, there's been something going on between the black community and the police. And, and you could tense the atmosphere that something is just the slightest thing could kick this off, you know? and I remember this uh, young lad he must have been about 17, 18 had the old Jamaican string vest on mm. and he just walked up to the side of the van in front of hundreds of people and just gave me a nice cold can of ginger beer and nice. he just said that's for you oh. I respect you bro mm. and I said what about me color? he said no I don't know him <laughs> <tough."> <laughs> and you know what that meant so much to me that meant wow. so much to me that, that lad doesn't know what he did Yeah. what good he did for me in, in my life you really? know and I had loads of other people come up to me and shake my hand, and you know, say, "Really good to see you back." And uh, my colleague did the same as well. He had the same thing. It's really nice, really oh. nice to see, because sometimes in policing you only see the bad side of life. You don't see the good side in people, and it is you you can get sort of a bit one sided with your with your thought
0: on stuff mm. sometimes. So what um, was the next dangerous situation you got in after that?
1: Um, something I really learned from, from this incident, and um, I still smile about it, is we was down in Rushcroft Road, the same road. I was with a younger colleague again, and we saw a car parked up and there was somebody leaning through the passenger window. And again, the way they looked at us was they're up to no good. That's that sixth sense coming through again. So we did a vehicle check like we did before. Hire a car. Well, hire cars are used in crime, still are, aren't they? Yeah. Definitely. So my colleague said, oh, we've got to give him a tug. We've got to give him a tug and all that. And I've just gone, we need some backup. There's three of them. There's two of us. And so we called up for some backup and all units were busy. So he's gone, oh, we've got to tug them. I went, no. And He accused me of losing my bottle. He went, no, you lost it. You lost your bottle. I went, I haven't. Something ain't right with that car. I'm telling you, something is not right with that. And uh, about half an hour later, that car was circulated, that the passenger had been seen in possession of a firearm, <laughs> of a handgun. Yeah, so, Whoa. and he, like, he was really embarrassed. And that um, brought back some memories. It was just, had, that, had I not been shot before, um, I probably would have ploughed straight into a stop. Whether he had the gun on him then, I don't know, but I probably think he probably did have, because gunmen don't normally go around without their guns, as I'm sure Lady's always told you. Uh, wow. So that's that was something that uh, yeah shook me up a little bit, but it was like yeah I've learnt I've matured so much as a as a police officer, and um, yeah,
2: quite
0: an amazing story really. Mm-hmm. Did your position rise over the years in the police? No,
1: I just stayed as a constable. Um, so I was happy. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. I just ch- stayed doing what I was doing. Wow.
0: Uh, what year did you officially retire then? Uh, 2014. 2014? Yeah. And this happened in... 1994. 1994, so 20 years oh, of good. more policing since the incident. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. What were, like, the major um stories you've got from that 20 years then
1: well obviously some of them i've i've covered like with the um
0: the knife incident was after the shooting with when I,
1: in the flat that was after it being, being shot at was after that um i um how have you seen the? Oh, another commendation something? i had was again i was at the driving school and i ended up um Changing drivers. so only drive for certain length of time. This. And I changed over in Brixton of all places. And, uh, some fella comes up and says, Oh, that fella's just robbed me. And, uh, so we thought, Oh, okay. Then well you go to Brixton police station and report it? We'll go after him. So we went after this bloke and, um, had a big, big fight with him. Shall I say? And he was in possession of a knife. Mm. And, uh, yeah. So that was, um, yeah. Just never never got away oh, from it.
2: That's all right. Now, I was just going to ask, how, so in your opinion, over the 20 years, how have you seen the police force change over the years?
1: Um, what sort of noticeable Obviously, stuff we like with firearms calls. We've got much more professional, much more equipment. Um, we are, for, for me, we're we're a lot more professional. Right. Um, Investigation-wise, um, everything, technology. Everything has completely changed, police, into what it was. You know, the officer safety side, for example, was really changed. Um, But, yeah,
0: yeah. Have the criminals had to adapt to that? And then, and then, one cop we had on said it was like an arms race. (laughs) Yeah, you guys come up with a strategy to stop something, and then and then they get something something. else. It's almost like they're one step
1: ahead of us sometimes. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And obviously, cybercrime now is a massive thing, isn't it? Yeah, so um yeah they do they're always looking at further ways of of
0: of upskilling themselves aren't they what about the proliferation of drug gangs and knife crime
1: um obviously now it's all changed um it's spread out a lot more with the county lines is a massive massive issue for for, for ev- the whole country um yeah massively so i mean I, I don't really get involved in that side of stuff much now I, only through people that i might train and i talk to about their roles so i don't really see a, a lot of that myself
2: wow.
0: so when you came to your retirement then um you know look looking back and everything you've been through were you just like happy that you was alive and <laughs> got got through all this yeah i was yeah yeah i bet your family were relieved as well that you were retiring <laughs>
1: um I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. so how old were you when you got chatting back with Leroy? Um that was twenty eighteen. Um I wrote it I read his book and contacted the publisher. How did you find
0: out about his book?
1: Um yeah. I had a victim support officer because when Leroy Leroy got released, he was still on licence. So he was still under a curfew times and places, etc. So the um Victim support officer, uh she kept in touch with me, let me know if he was abiding by what he should be. Hmm. And uh um she said about his book, so I thought, well, I'll read it. Um, I never never hated Leroy because it wasn't personal. I was in the wrong place at the right time, or as I look at it, the right place at the right time. So a member of the public or another officer didn't get injured. That's the way I look at it, yeah? Um So I've tried to turn that negative wrong place to the right place, So again, making a positive out of it. And, um, yeah, so I just wrote to um, the publisher saying, look, tell the reader, if he is genuine about going straight and redeeming himself, then what better support, moral support to have than one of his victims? Wow. Yeah, baby, and um, there's a lot of distrust at first, but then all of a sudden
0: we just... What it was the first changed. direct communication you had with him? It was an
1: email from Leroy. Um, yeah, basically. What did it say? Um, I, he can't believe it. And I think he was a little bit scared. Yeah, couldn't understand it at first, why I wanted to do that. Um, but then we... And we only sort of emailed once a month or something then. But then it just started to build up. And... Um, I didn't want to go public with it at first because um, I had um, I had some negativity over it, um, but a lot of positive as well. But I just wasn't ready to come out and um, you know do interviews etc. and stuff until I felt the time was right for me and I was happy with our relationship. Um, and it's just um, it just
0: exploded really,
2: bonded over a bullet. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: At what point did you meet Leroy for the first time? I met
1: him uh, in 2018 at Charing Cross Station. Um, and, um,
0: did that trigger your PTSD scene? No, I
1: didn't. It absolutely did the opposite for me. It? it made me feel really proud, really like a closure to it all. Ah, oh,
2: that's great. And I,
1: I was, I was, I've always been a little bit intrigued as to why... As to Leroy's life, what made him go into crime? And chatting to him, reading his book, has been a real eye-opener for me about life. And I tried to put myself in Leroy's shoes and think, if that had been me, what would I have done? And so I looked at it and I said to you earlier, didn't I, about he could have killed us both. Yeah. But he didn't. He shot to stop us, and that's what he achieved. And I've discussed at length with Leroy about what he could have done is had we turned the corner and the police guy he could have just fired a shot but it's that fight or flight syndrome until you're pushed into that corner when we went to stop and search him it was just like any other stop and search but then when I got over that line yeah that was it so so i've looked at it from that point of view that his mum's murdered when he's two he might not remember it that clearly but you know something's gone wrong and that's going to affect you for the rest of your life he's looking out his, his front door seeing teenagers walking around with 10 grand in their back pocket I've got ten grand in my bank account, <laughs> in my back pocket, you, you know. And um, to go down the educational route, you're facing discrimination for one thing. You're facing things that are really hard in life. It's a hard, hard graft where you can just go out there, sell some drugs, and earn more money than if you go legit. And I just looked at it and thought, what would I do if that was me? And I can't say, but I could have ended up like that. Yeah. yeah, so I just looked at that and I thought, Do you know what? I'll give you a second chance, and I'm I'm so pleased that I have right. because I've seen when when you when you're a gangster, when you're in prison, you cannot show a sign of weakness. You cannot show a sign that you care because you're finished. You are finished, and I've seen a real care inside to Leroy that's never been exploited that's never been shown to people, and it's there. And it's it's a real joy to see it in somebody who has been the complete opposite in their life. And it's Great. genuine. Um,
0: So, James, it's like, you know, to rise above not wanting to have, like, vengeance or hatred towards the person who shot you, could have killed you, that takes a real strong character. I spoke to a person recently who'd been shot, and he said to me, look, Sean, if I was you know, in a room with a guy who shot me right now, I'd try and kill him. I can't get over it. I've tried and tried to get over it. I cannot get over it. I've got this hatred for the person. I want him dead. So what has separated you from thinking like that? Um, it wasn't personal.
1: Never hated him. And as I said, I was, the way I look at it, it was in the right place at the right time I was doing the job. And the danger of that happening to you, I was aware of when I signed the oath. And I'm pleased to say it's still very, very rare. But, um, yeah, and I I just... I try to look at it from Leroy's point of view, everything in his life. And um, as I said, I I don't know what I would have done if I'd been brought up in the same circumstances. And for me, maybe it's my upbringing that, you know... um, Another thing for me was all the bad feelings and stuff. When I met Leroy, it was like clothes, everything, it just went. It was just a real sense of peace. And I remember getting on the train home thinking, I can't believe I've just done that. Yeah. Sometimes I still have to pinch myself and look at the book and think, I actually did that.
0: Could you have done that? Could you forgive someone who shot you? It's hard to, f-
1: to imagine, isn't
0: it? So you've been but, through uh, a yeah.
1: y- The other way I looked at it as well was he served twenty years out a twenty-five year sentence. So most people, I would say, probably stand to be put right. over it. Most people serve fifty, sixty percent. So he served eighty percent as a catty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just look at that and I think you've served your time for the crime you did. And and I didn't contact him before. Um, I just felt that, yeah, you've served your time. You deserved it. I'm not worried about those extra five years. That doesn't really bother me, you know? And I, I get so... Um, I get a little bit fed up when I hear people say, yeah, they should throw the key away. Wow. Why? Look at his life. Yeah, he did have choices. But when we're young, we don't always make the right choice. And hindsight is a fantastic thing, isn't it? And... um you know, as I said, I've just uh, seen such a different side to him that's never never come out before. Real story
2: of forgiveness.
0: When you met him for the first time, what were the first things that were said? And when you looked into his eyes, what, what did you feel? Um,
1: I just felt that he was really genuine. He said, look, I'm really sorry for what I've done to you. And I just said, we've got to move on, Leroy. We've got to move on. What's the point of drilling on something that happened 20 years ago? Just all that anger and that that pain I'm here I'm here to tell a story, and I'm telling one now you know? <laughs> and um that's the way I see it that's make some good come out of this you know we 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 you know a lot of police officers and police staff get accused of almost like being very prejudiced and not caring sometimes, but you know when we see the old um the tents ran a murdered teenager. It hurts us. It really hurts us. But people don't see that. They think that, yeah, we're just tired to it. It's just another murder to us. No, it's not. It's not. Trust me, it hurts me when I see it now. Mm. And so we just look at it, and I just look at it and think, if we can just help one kid get out a knife crime, we've done our bit, and we have done that. And hopefully there's going to be a lot more people um, will not
0: just look at us, but at other people that have turned their lives around. How did you come to a decision to go public and work together?
2: Hmm.
1: Um, I think once our bonding grew and I was new, because one of the things with restorative justice is that for me, uh, it's only just really started to kick off in the, in the police service, yeah, throughout the country, you know, and I'm only talking the last few months, um, is you have to look and think, well, if this person isn't genuine, how am I going to cope with it? So that's one of the real big things that I looked at and and asked a lot of questions to myself about, and I got help from um um a teenagers who'd been stabbed his his parents who said they'd have forgiven the person who killed him because if they didn't they'd never be able to smile again and and that that really touched me, really touched me. And I've heard other stories, like yourself, like with the Brighton Bomber. Brighton Bomber and one of his victims. And I've heard that before as well from, um, I don't know, John Sutherland. You know, John? Mm -hmm. Worth looking at. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, So whose idea was it? Was it yours or Leroy's?
1: (sighs) I think it was mutual. Yeah? Yeah, to meet up. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Leroy said this is going to go big together. And I thought, yeah, it probably will. But um, it's taken time, obviously, with COVID and that um but um what was the response when you went public um the first thing was a bbc interview um and yeah it was i got a lot of real real good feedback from it uh a lot of people have said and been honest yeah i couldn't do that a lot of police officers said i couldn't couldn't you do that, that. Bit, bit of hate mail didn't you uh, a little bit of
0: hate mail yeah um but as your colleague me, your colleague got shot in the legacy happy for you
1: He is, yeah. You know, it's not not uh, the route he wants to take, and I respect him fully for that. And it's not been easy. You know, it's cost me a few sleepless nights. Um, but having done it now, I I just I can only see the benefits. I can't see any negatives in it. What we're doing, it's powerful, isn't it? It is powerful. It's it's one of those things that I just find talking to people about. People tend not to talk that much about it because it is so deep. It's so heavy. And like you say, I don't know if I could... Convict- so they don't think about it, yeah? Yeah. And it's, it's it's another thing that um that I've been talking about lately is that there's a lot of people out there that have convictions like for assault and police, but uh, actually really nice people. And I know that from experience. Really lovely people. They might have had the wrong drink or just the wrong frame of mind. And the first bit of authority is within the first police officer that's turned up and they haven't um, abided by
0: what they want them to do. It's not personal. You can't define people by one mistake. Absolutely, absolutely. So what is your goal and mission now?
1: Um, I don't know. I've thought about writing a book and getting Leroy to write a chapter for me. Um, as you said, I've had a few incidents that I could... <laughs> <that> I could <laughs> fill yeah. a book with <laughs> and some happy and some funny stories probably as well but obviously it'd take time to look at it and you know just need the time to do that where it goes from here I, I don't know um, if I'm honest I'd like to see a bit more involvement with schools uh-huh. um, I know I've got a full time job Leroy doesn't so much but you know do, doing work with, with younger kids and stuff you know uh, prisons uh, we've done some work for uh, uh, youth offenders place in California a couple of the boys are trying to t- sort their lives around and coming over to meet us next month coming from California to here yeah, yeah. with their mentors yeah oh, to meet fantastic. us so we did a few Zoom interviews yeah. uh, with them and are they um, coming to London then they are yeah
0: wow yeah. how long are they going to be in London I'm not sure
1: I'm mm. not sure but um, yeah so um, yeah we, we have we have made a difference in some people's lives yeah and hopefully a lot more Definitely.
0: And for the for the people watching this, then how can they support you guys or reach out to you? Do you have we'll put links there? Do you have socials and stuff for people? I'm not on social media at all. Okay.
1: I think Um, Leroy did say that. So the website
0: for you guys is stuff people want to get you.
1: If you want to get in touch, go through out of the box website. Yeah. And then if anyone wants to get in contact with me,
0: obviously do it via Leroy. Yeah. It's the best way. Yeah. Anyone got any final questions then for James? (laughs) <laughs> so you
1: mentioned earlier about like, the
2: masons and police. Is that still
1: a big thing? Oh yes. <laughs> I don't really want to discuss that. I'm not one, by the way. So yeah. I don't. I don't. I, I, I'll be honest. I don't agree with Freemasons and the police. No. How can you have a secret society in in the police? I, I, I don't. I've never understood that. Yeah. I'll probably get the sack for
0: saying that now. <laughs> oh, but so James. be it. <laughs> oh, James. Well, thank you. Yeah, we salute you. We salute your bravery. We sub- salute your authenticity. <laughs> and the fact that you're on this mission now, you harnessing the power of your story to change people's minds and, and to deter people, especially young people from crime. And these kids that come from California, that's the deep end, those gangbangers. Yeah, because yeah, um yeah, I was in Arizona, so I know what about that culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's going to be fascinating how that turns out. But uh, yeah, so if you've watched this, please let us know what you think. If you want Leroy or James to do a speaking engagement, go to the Out of the Box website. We will have that down there. Um, and all of Jen's links are down there, so please support what Jen's doing today. I was uh, wondering where her little string is to... Jeffro style, tie up the dungarees, you know, Beverly (laughs) Hillbillies. (laughs) Uh, Right, well, thank you so much. Thanks, James. That was was phenomenal. Yeah, cheers, man. man. Yeah, give us a hug. Cheers, well done. Lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. Right, pleasure.
3: Never before has there been a way to get your messaging out there until Guerrilla Media Limited's out of the box approach. Our LED screens are a powerful advertising tool that will expose your brand message to the thousands of people walking and driving past the large 1 metre LED boards across London or positioned in the back of cars. The bottom line is that you want to attract an influence and stand out. And Guerrilla Media's leverage of advanced technology provides a consistent and standout advertising platform for your marketing campaign or establish business. Our digital billboards are positioned to take advantage of long dwell times, ensuring maximum exposure for your brand or company name. You can even maximise your messaging with 24-hour operation, just imagine that. Your own LED billboard with excellent viewing, bringing in high traffic and additional sales. Or tailor your ad campaign with one-minute ads played on repeat throughout a month, for as little as 100 pounds. The bottom line is that Gorilla Media's out-of-the-box LED advertising screens get your message across better than ever before. Now, you can deliver eye-catching messages or display your company name like no other regular sign ever could. With unrivaled clarity, our LED screens are extremely reliable and sustainable, allowing you to design your own content. Did you know that Digital Signage grabs 72% more attention than online ads? It's a tool that every industry, whether it's retail, hospitality, healthcare, technology, education, sports or corporate environments, is adopting to communicate effectively with consumers. Digital Signage has become a go-to marketing solution for businesses. Our LED displays help your company make its presence felt in the competitive world of business. Representing the perfect solution for all your marketing woes. For more information, call us at 7432 419 432 or visit the website.
2: Here at Boomer and Gen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Gen we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It is now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textile Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk